Hey friends, Alan Duty here, preaching pastor at New Life. We're delighted to bring you this sermon from our Sunday gathering. For more information or to support our ministry, visit us online at newlifecs.net. Thank you and enjoy the following message. Mariah, there is something wrong with me. My daughter, who at the time was a cardiac critical care nurse, looked at me in dread. The word cancer spread across her countenance. She was actually relieved when I explained to her that I was merely having an unusual shortness of breath and she moved into nurse mode. It was Monday night, what we will call day zero. She immediately set up an appointment with the cardiologist the next day, which we'll call day one. The appointment went well, other than the fact that every single person in the waiting room looked at that they were one step away from being admitted to the hospital. The cardiologist scheduled a dye test for the following Monday, day seven. On Friday, day four, I called my daughter and told her I was having chest pains as I walked from one side of the office building to the other, which was about 50 yards. She conferred with the cardiologist and thought it was probably wise for me to actually stop exercising until the dye test was taken on the following Monday. They believed that this unusual chest pain, since it came and went, was really not that serious. So on Monday morning, day seven, the dye test was conducted and the results were pretty abysmal. There was definitive evidence of significant block artery blockages in all three major arteries. I was instructed to cease all exercise, begin taking medication, and prepare for an angiogram one week later. I dutifully listened, I returned to work, I picked up the medication, I took it for the first time that night. On Tuesday, day eight, I went to a conference to be interviewed for a radio show. Awaiting the interview, I became nauseous. I remembered that the three symptoms of a heart attack were shortness of breath, chest pain, and nausea. So I called my daughter immediately and told her of my nausea. I stated my nausea was waning and that I planned to drive to her office, which happened to be in the same building as the cardiologist. Over her objections, she, she wanted me to call 911. And after conducting the interview, I drove to her office. As I entered the building, she greeted me in the lobby and instructed me that I had been, admit, I had been admitted to the hospital 
and that I was going to have an angiogram in two hours. So after filling out the paperwork, I was led upstairs to await the procedure. And at that time, my daughter and I agreed that it was probably time to notify my wife. <laughs> we texted her, and approximately an hour later, my wife called me from St. Petersburg, Russia. You see, she had left for Russia the preceding Thursday, three days after I had spoken to my daughter about the unusual shortness of breath. She left with absolutely no knowledge that I was having problems. And as you can see, after her departure, things degraded pretty quickly. I'm sure some of you are saying, what was he thinking to keep something like this from his wife? My reasoning was that I did not want her to miss the mission trip to Russia for the second time. The previous year, there had been kind of a relational crisis with our son, and she felt led to stay. And why in the world would I keep her from going the second time just because I'm having some shortness of breath? And while some of you might have a smirk, and others of you who are grimacing, and I'm not justifying my behavior, I do want you to know that because of her ability to make that trip and a series of providential events that occurred in Russia, Ermaleva Oksana Yurevnev became our sixth child. I tell you this story as a backdrop to our passage today, Ephesians 1, 5 through 6. This speaks about adoption. I will refer back to the story of Oksana several times to show you how a real adoption can make this passage relevant to us today. And yes, the surgical procedure went well 14 years ago. I had stents to unblock a 98% blocked LAD and two 65% RCA and LCXs. And yes, my wife was not very happy with me. <laughs> Excuse me. Let us reread the passage that we are going to study. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Humans have been adopting children for thousands of years. In fact, adoption was common in the Roman world. When a Roman citizen adopted a child, certain rules applied. And those rules greatly benefited the one being adopted. First, the adopted child lost all rights in his or her old family. She or he was in essence looked upon as a new person, so new 
that any obligations, debts with that former family were canceled and abolished. The adopted child came debt-free. Second, the adopted child was immediately given all the rights of a legitimate son or daughter in the new family. And then third, the child was adopted permanently. The child could not be adopted today and disinherited tomorrow. Because adoption was common in the Roman world, Paul used this analogy as to explain our relationship with God. That is, the Roman practice captures what happens to us when we come to Jesus Christ for salvation. Like Roman adoptions, we are removed from our old family. John 8.44 says we are sons of Satan. We are removed from our old family. And our debts and obligations, that is, our unpaid sins, are canceled and abolished. Second, we immediately are adopted into God's family and we become children of God. And third, we are adopted as children of God and remain children of God for eternity. I think this passage this morning that we're looking at can deepen our understanding of spiritual adoption. It reveals a lot about God's character and the benefits that accrue to us through adoption. John Piper notes that the structure of Romans 11.36, which closes the first section of that book, as it reads, it says, From him and through him and to him are all things. That passage, according to Piper, could be applied to this passage. All things, including adoption, all things are from God, through God, and to God. Notice, in love, he predestined us for adoption. That's the from. Through Jesus Christ, that is the through, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that is the two. Adoption is from God, through God, and to God. Or stated differently, the route of adoption is from God. The, you say, the root of adoption is from God. The route of adoption is through God, and the reason of adoption is to God. So let us consider the root, the route, and the reason of adoption. First, the root of adoption is from God. Notice two things about the root of adoption. First, adoption is rooted in love. In love, 
He predestined us for adoption. One of the first revelations that we see about God in the Bible is God as the seeker. In Genesis 3.9, we read these words, Adam, where are you? That is, where are you hiding? Where have you gone? What have you done? In commenting upon this question to his seminary class, a professor once said, you can never be a preacher if you read this verse as though God is a policeman. Read it as though God is a broken hearted father looking for a lost child. God seeks out man even though he has sinned. God seeks out man even while we are an enemy. Men do not seek out God. In fact, Romans 3.10 says, no one seeks for God. Notice in verse 5, in love is followed by having predestined us. Now, what does that mean? We, we can't spend a lot of time tonight on election. But here is a point that I want you to understand. Love has a special emphasis here. And predestination is not a cold, fatalistic doctrine. God's election of certain people was based not on something cold, but it was based on love. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Those whom he chose, he set his infinite love upon, determining that they would be brought into a position of blessing and honor. Love seeks to bless. Love rejoices to give. God so loved us that he gave us his only son. But his love was not satisfied just to deliver us from death. He so loved us that he determined to make us like his only son. So let me give you two yardsticks for how great this love is. The first one can be seen in the cross. Romans 5.8 states, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10 states, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The first yardstick is the cross. The second yardstick of this love is the gift of sonship. 1 John 3.1 Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Adoption 
is that the very nature and act of love to the person who is adopted. If you become a parent by adopting a child, you do so because you choose to, not because you are bound to. Similarly, God adopts because he chooses to. He has no duty to adopt us. He need not have done anything about our sins, save punish us as we deserved. But he loved us. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He took us as sons and daughters and gave himself to be our father. That is because adoption is rooted in love. Second, as noted by Piper, our adoption is rooted in intentionality. It was actually part of God's plan. It was his idea and his purpose. It was not an afterthought. He didn't discover one day that against his plan and foreknowledge, humans had sinned and orphaned themselves in this world and then came up with the idea of adopting them into his family. No, God did not even flip a coin to decide which sinners to keep and which to throw away. No, Paul says, God predestined adoption. He planned it. He determined to set his love on certain sinners according to the good pleasure of his will. And if we ask about when this predestination happened, look at verse 4. It's very clear. He chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the creation of the world, before we existed, God looked upon us in our need. He looked upon his son's work, and this work was sufficient atonement for our sin. And because of that, he chose us to be holy and blameless. And to that end, he predestined us for adoption. Sometime after Oksana became fluent in English, it was not uncommon for people to say, why did you choose to be adopted by the Stones and come to America. She would then launch into all the reasons why she chose to come to America, having previously turned down offers to be adopted by families in Finland and in Russia. What Oksana never says, and has never said, is that her ability to choose and to say yes was only possible because we had chosen her first. Long before she was ever given an opportunity to say, would you like to be adopted by the Stones and move to America? We had to notify the orphanage, the U.S. government, the Russian Federation, that we wanted to adopt Oksana. We started a multifaceted, nine-month process that made it possible for when we asked her that question, she could choose to say yes. 
Likewise, our adoption as children of God was intentionally planned in love before creation by our Heavenly Father. Our ability to accept Christ was only possible because God first loved us and predestined us for adoption before the creation of the world. Our adoption is rooted in love and in intentionality. The root of adoption is from God. Now let us look at the route of adoption. Specifically, adoption is through the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 5. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It means that to be adopted by God, a payment had to be made. Verse 7, in him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Before the foundation of the world, God saw that we would be sinners. And he planned the death of his son so that our sins could be forgiven and his wrath removed. Through that payment, we were adopted. Now, there are two clear implications of this payment. First, not all people are adopted by God. Though all humans are created by God and owe Him worship, and all humans are created by God, they are not sons, particularly in the spiritual sense. The spiritual sonship of every human was forfeited when Adam, as representative of mankind, sinned. And as a result, those not redeemed are properly called sons of Satan. John 8, 44. Children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 3. More specifically, the blood of Christ only covers the sins of of all who believe. Paul writes in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, okay? But all are not justified. Some are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Therefore, believers in Jesus are adopted, but no others. God may be the creator of all. He may be, but he's only the father of those whom he adopts. On Saturday, day five, while still in the dark, about my health status, Debbie texted me from St. Petersburg. Do you want a Russian daughter? I immediately responded, yes. Debbie and I had considered adopting on several occasions. And if she was being led to adopt a child now, I completely trusted her. 
on day eight while I was speaking to her on the phone and prior to my procedure in the hospital, she said, what do you want me to do about Oksana? I told her that whether I made it through the procedure or not, she was to adopt Oksana. As stated earlier, we chose Oksana before she was ever given a choice. Because we wanted to adopt her and give her the same rights and privileges as our biological children possessed. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, we feel no differently towards Oksana than to our five biological children. We chose Oksana, not any other child. Likewise, not all people are adopted by God. Second, adoption comes at a price. Oksana would often ask, how much did it cost to adopt me? The time, the cost, in time, innumerable studies and paperwork filings. We became best friends almost with FedEx and UPS during that time. In time, in money, tens of thousands of dollars, and in emotional energy, stress, frustration. All of that mattered to Oksana. For she realized that her adoption came at a price. Now likewise, our adoption as children of God came at a price, a very precious price. It required the God, the Father, to send his one and only son to the world to die on a cross for a group of people that were his enemies, yet that he desired to save. Wow, what a price. There may be some of you in this room that don't know this Christ. The scriptures are very clear. All men are sinners and all are dead in their trespasses. Jesus Christ came to this world to die on the cross to pay for the sins of those who believe. And all men must at one time say, my works are insufficient to save me. I will place my faith in this work of this Christ on the cross. Paul writes very clearly in Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The root of adoption is love. The route of adoption is through God. Let us now look at the reason of adoption. It is to God. Adoption is for God's glory. 
You see that in this passage. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure, purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. The goal of our adoption is that the glory of God would be praised. As noted by Piper, we are not adopted by God so that we will rejoice that God made much of us. We are adopted by God so that we will enjoy making much of God's grace. God adopted us in our unworthiness to make his grace look great. God's action in adopting us is radically God-centered and God-exalting. As Debbie and I share our story of the adoption of Oksana, I want you to know, brothers and sisters in Christ, not once did anyone ever say, oh, that's fine that you adopted Oksana, but what about these other orphans? I mention that for those of you who dislike or uncomfortable with election and adoption as taught in the Bible. That is because you think something similar if you would think the way I said these others might should respond to us, but they didn't. Because you think it's great for God to save some, but what about the others? And yet, the universal response of our adoption of Oksana was one of praise and adulation for our mercy and kindness. We never heard that we were unmerciful or mean because we didn't adopt others. Likewise, some of us, not everyone, some of us, not due to any merit on our own, some of us, due solely to God's grace, are adopted to the praise and glory of His grace. The reason of adoption is to God. It is for God's glory. In closing, what does this biblical doctrine of adoption mean to us in a practical sense? What bearing does it have on our day-to-day lives? Now, obviously, a lot could be said here, but I just want to mention six benefits of adoption, most of which I've already addressed, but I want to reiterate them. First, our debts are canceled. Christ's death, a substitutionary death, frees us from our slavery and bondage to sin. It acts like a ransom payment. In effect, We are released from our sins because our debt to God has been paid in full. Second, we enjoy the highest blessing of salvation, according to J.I. Packer. Sonship. Daughtership. Brothers and sisters, it is one thing to stand before the judge and to have one's penalty forgiven and wiped clean their record. That's justification. 
But it's quite another thing when that judge steps off the bench, walks around, puts the arm around the offender, and takes the offender home to live with him. To be right with the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for as a son or daughter by God the Father is infinitely greater. Third, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We need to grasp this. There's a vital truth that the Scripture set forth that the Spirit is given to Christians, Romans 8.15, as the Spirit of adoption. As such, the Spirit's task and purpose is to lead Christians into an ever deeper response to God in this relationship. Paul is pointing to this truth when he writes in Galatians 4.6, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, that is prompting you to cry, crying, Abba, Father, Fourth, we gain access to the throne room. As children of God, we approach the king of the universe and we can make petitions. And he listens because we have access to the king of the universe via prayer. Fifth, we gain the privilege of chastisement. In this world, children of royalty have to undergo extra training and discipline, which other children escape in order to prepare these royal children for their high destiny. It is the same with the children of the king of kings. He is training us for what awaits us. He is training us to become and chiseling us into the image of Christ. He's growing us in Christ's likeness. Sometimes that chiseling process is painful. Sometimes the discipline is irksome. Yet scripture reminds us in Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Finally, we have an inheritance. Christianity is a religion of hope. It possesses a faith that looks forward. It teaches us to think of our hope not as a possibility or as a likelihood, but as a guaranteed certainty. It is a promised inheritance. Paul writes in Romans 8, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In love... He predestined us for adoption. That is, adoption is from God. Through Jesus Christ. That is, adoption is through God. 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That is, adoption is to God. Let us pray. Father, this passage is so rich. It is so rich that we were able to spend the whole sermon just on one and a half verses. And yet, in this passage, we learned a truth. A truth that is so glorious, that is so positive, that is so encouraging that we now have a theological understanding of what spiritual adoption is. It is because you loved us from the foundation of the world that you predestined us that you might send your son to die on the cross for us and that through that death we have the opportunity to profess faith in Christ. And that profession doesn't bring us glory, but it brings you glory. And this theological understanding of spiritual adoption yields the practical benefits that we spoke to, including having our sins canceled, access to the throne room, the status as a son or daughter. We thank you that this is a theologically rich and a theologically practical passage. May we praise your name this evening as we share amongst our family that we are adopted sons and daughters of the king of the universe, there is no greater privilege and there is no greater hope from the promises that yield to being an adopted son or daughter. We thank you for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from New Life Baptist Church in College Station, Texas. For more information or to support our ministry, visit us online at newlifecs.net.